Welcome back to Your Average Witch, where we talk about witch life, witch stories, and sometimes a little witchcraft on the full and new moon every month. In this episode, I got to talk to the utterly delightful Byron Ballard, root worker, witch, and writer in Appalachia. Byron talks about what it's like to explore witchcraft in Appalachia, about how to begin working with ancestors, and we end up talking a lot more about chickens and cornbread than I ever expected to do on this podcast. Now for some housekeeping. This is a longer episode, and I'm not really editing very much because I am less than a week out from having had my hip replaced, and frankly, I just can't face doing it right now. (laughs) because I am on uh, fake morphine (laughs) and my hip hurts. But Byron is so interesting and well-spoken and kind that I know you'll love hearing the entire conversation as much as I adored having it. I also want to let you know that I'll be doing a Spellbox giveaway from my Patreon in the next Snack Size episode, along with a little surprise introduction of a new thing that I'll be doing with some help a collab with someone you've heard before, and that will go out next week, so be sure to catch that and enter the giveaway. Now let's get to the stories. Hi, Byron. Welcome to the show. Hello. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm excited you're here, too. (laughs) Would you please introduce yourself and let everybody know who you are and what you do and where they can find you? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm Byron Ballard. I'm uh oh, I don't even know where to start with who I am. I'm a I'm a gardener and a farmer and a writer and a witch and a priestess and um a traveler. I do a lot of traveling and I folks can find me in social media on Facebook and Twitter and Insta. All of those are Byron Ballard. And uh, my website is myvillagewitch.com, but that's undergoing some work right now, so it might be a little tricky to find. But be patient. We will we will make it bigger and better. And I also have a Patreon. They can find me as Byron Ballard on Patreon. And it nice. festivals all up and down the Midwest and the East Coast. You got to come out west too. I do want to do that actually. I got as far as uh, North Dakota at Beltane this year. And mm-hmm. I mean, I've been to California and Utah and a couple other places, but yeah, it's, it's time to do like a Western tour. Come here to Arizona in the sun, in the winter. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm not coming there in the summer. I ain't no fool. Cam. No, I wish I wasn't necessarily here in the summer. <laughs> I've got friends in Tucson. I've got a lot of friends, actually, in Arizona and New Mexico. So that would make sense to come out there in the winter. Please. we still got delicious tacos even in winter. Well, now you're talking my language. I do do (laughs) love some tacos. But also I love some uh, empanadas. And, uh, yeah, I just like to eat. Me too. That's... that's (laughs) This is the second interview in a row where we almost took off on a food chat instead of the interview. <laughs> you know, something I didn't mention in introducing myself is that I do a podcast with my, my buddy, Alicia, called Weird Mountain Gals. 
And if we don't talk about food at some point in the podcast, we think we've missed it. Well, it's crazy. Did. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, we'll get started on cornbread and green beans and whatever, and we almost always oh end gosh. the show. I know. We almost always end the show with, well, I guess I better go make some supper. What are you making for supper tonight, Alicia? Well, this is what I'm making. What are you making for supper? Well, this is what I'm making. So we got to get the food in there. Food's important. Okay, that that may be a new thing that I need to add. <laughs> <laughs> We'll start a podcast revolution with food. I just think food is such it's such a perfect and welcoming cultural transmission thing. Yeah, it's so social. Yep, absolutely. I did an interfaith gathering. It's been a few years ago now. It was pre-COVID, of course. And it was a whole bunch of people from different faith traditions. And we were supposed to bring a bread from our tradition. And you were supposed to bring two of whatever it was, and then we donated to a, a local homeless shelter. But it was so wonderful to see all these people come in with their favorite breads, and they obviously loved them. And people would come in with, like, big loaves of bread and a pound of butter. And we oh, all yes. just sat around and carb-loaded and talked about spirituality. It was great. Um, I want that. <laughs> well, how about if I come to where you are and you and I will organize that? All right. Good. All right. Done. <laughs> now, what else do we want to talk about? <laughs> Can you tell me how you got started doing what you do, writing and farming? Well, I mean, the farming part comes comes naturally. My father's family were uh, farmers and, you know, Appalachian subsistence farmers for the most part. They weren't big agribusinesses. And I had a, a cousin who had a dairy herd and I just grew up around, you know, milk cows and corn and really good tomatoes and cucumbers. So, oh, man. <laughs> so, once I settled in a place that wasn't an apartment somewhere and had a little bit of land, I started gardening. So that came really naturally. And also the the witch stuff does too. My mother's family uh, had these abilities, and that's the only word I can think to use for it, but like my grandmother had uh, prophetic dreams and she had a sister who could remove warts, could talk off warts, and and they always called it witchcraft. They always called it witching. So that was something I just grew up that that side of the family did, and I expected. I was told that when um, when I became a full woman, which by that they meant when I started menstruating, that I would also get one of these family gifts. I'd get the hands-on healing or the dreams or the ability to remove the fire from a burn, all that kind of stuff. And, and I did, you know, I started, I started my, had my first blood and I got the same thing. My grandmother had I had prophetic dreams for a long, long time. So that came kind of naturally too. So those two things are, are tied, tied into me and, and the way I feel about the land here 
because I had, my daughter is the fifth generation of my family in the same neighborhood. And before that, we were in adjoining counties to the county we're in now. So my family on both sides has been here a long, long time. The most recent additions to the family tree came during the American Civil War in about 1864. And that's the most recent. And all the rest of them are away before that. So that is a, I, I got, I refer to them as I got deep, gnarly roots here. It's hard to <laughs> pull them up. I can't straighten them out. And it just is what it is. And, and then as far as the writing goes, I, I was writing really young. I mean, physically writing letters and words and started writing stories when I was, I don't know, second grade, second or third grade. And then went on from there to do papers in school. And then I was a playwright. I'm still a playwright uh, for a long time. And then started writing essays and books after that. So, it, Kim, that's such a good question because all three of those things or four of those things are kind of interlaced. And I don't know that I can remove any one of them and say, oh, I am definitely this thing right here. Because if I speak about that thing right there, then those other things come into it. It, it. And if you could see me, I'm kind of lacing my fingers together. That it all comes together woven like a basket or like a beautiful piece of, of uh, table linen. Um, and it, it's, uh, it's hard to separate it out. But, yeah, that's how I came by all that stuff. Hmm. What does it mean when you call yourself a witch to you? It, it means I practice witchcraft, and I'm really, I'm pretty fussy about that. Um, if you call yourself a witch, then the only thing that means, as far as I'm concerned, is that you practice witchcraft. It's not because you wear a particular style of clothes or makeup or or witchy hats. None of that counts if you do not practice witchcraft. And I'm not judgmental about how you do that or why or where or any of that stuff. But if you're not practicing witchcraft, you really have no right to call yourself a witch. And I come down hard on that. That's a hill I'm willing to burn on. I didn't realize people were calling themselves witches, but not actually practice. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I know there are aesthetic witches who, who also like to look pretty or whatever, but I didn't realize there are people who don't practice who are saying they're witches. Yes, there are. I live a, I live a sheltered life. <laughs> you sound like you're shocked. Are you shocked? A little bit. <laughs> well, there are because right now, I mean, bless them. It's a, it's a fad right now, and a lot of people are like, oh yeah, no, I, I just like to think of myself as a witchy person or a witch or whatever. And, and, I, I remember who asked it a couple of years ago is how, how do you uh, how do you define a witch? And I said, it is really easy to me. Do you practice witchcraft? Yes. Then you are a witch. And if you do not practice witchcraft, you need to find another name for yourself. No offense intended, but that's just how that is. It's a I practice. Ask, I ask the question that way because some people are practicing what I call witchcraft, but they don't like the term witch for whatever reason, or they don't want to use it. And so that's why I phrase it that way. 
No, I didn't then, realize there were people saying there were witches that aren't actually doing anything. <laughs> well, you are absolutely right, though, that there are there are people who don't use that word, either one of those words. And we are spoiled in our Western and American culture because in the in the 50s, 60s, 70s, we reclaimed that word, that witch word. But there are a lot of communities. Some of them are indigenous communities. Some of them are other cultural communities. And that specific word, witch, it does not mean an, an, a herbal healer. It means somebody who's going to really screw you over and hurt you. And so if you walk into, like here, I live in Cherokee country. If you walk into you know, a tradi- group of traditional Cherokee people and proclaim that you are a witch, they will they will start making signs with their hands and they will back away and because you're perceived as dangerous. So we ha- I think you are right, and we have to be careful when we are when we are doing what we love to do, which is interacting with cultures that are not our own. We got to be careful about our language. And one of the things that I um, that I want to be clear about uh, with the kind of pra- witchcraft I practice, I'm an Appalachian folkloric witch, and that those set of practices come to us primarily through Protestant Christianity. And an awful lot of those people don't use that word. They they say, I'm moved by the power of the Lord, or the Holy Spirit is working through me. Now, the results are the same, and the work is the same. But if you approach them and say, I want to know about the kind of witchcraft you do, they oh. will purse, purse their lips together, and they will go, I do not know what you were talking about. I do not practice witchcraft. I can just see the head movement they're doing because <laughs> I am also from the South. <laughs> you know how that looks. Mm. Yep. <laughs> and you get the steely eyes looking over the top of the glasses. So I, when I, I, I am proud to say that I do a lot of work with the people that I refer to as the Appalachian diaspora. And these are people whose families left the region two, three generations ago. But they look back on it very fondly. And and I tell them, look, if you are visiting your great grandma, do not say, I want to know about the witchcraft in the family. Say to her, what are some of those weird superstitious things that people used to do? And you will hear all about the witchcraft. But if you say, I want to know about the witchcraft in the family, they will shut up like a clam and you will not hear a darn thing. So it is popular right now to call what I do Appalachian Granny Magic. And I'm going to tell you, two-thirds of that is absolutely wrong. The only part that's right is Appalachian. And probably whoever says it mispronounces it as Appalachian. That so, me yeah. crazy. <laughs> so it is Appalachian. But it is not practiced by only grannies though granny is a title of respect in the culture, and they rarely ever use the word magic or the word witch. So if you are calling yourself a granny witch from Appalachia, then you probably don't have very deep roots. You probably read a book and went, oh, this looks like fun. So cultural awareness is important. It's really, really important. And, man, that was a long way around the barn. (laughs) to say to you, thank you for phrasing it that way. 
mean, I, it's good information. I think it needs to be said and heard. Do you have any stories that you could tell from growing up where things that definitely weren't witchcraft, of course not witchcraft, no, but were no, very witchy? Not. <laughs> well, the, the one I tell a lot that is it, and I wasn't present for this, but it has come down through my family. The great aunt, my grandmother's sister, who could, as we say it here at the parlance is, who could talk, talk away a wart. And, and part of what the traditional craft here includes is this sense of this is not anything that I do. I'm just a vessel. And people would go to her. So say you would go to my great aunt and you would have a wart on your hand and you would say, Auntie, I, I've got a wart, and Mama said I should come see you because you could take it off. And then my great aunt would take your hand in her hand, and she'd put her thumb on top of the wart, and she would just rub it. And she would look you in the eye the whole time and say, well, honey, how's school? What's your favorite subject? And there was a point in the rubbing this, and she would say things like, I don't know why people come to me for this. I've got no authority over this. I've got no power, but it's so good to see you. And at some point, she would lift her hand from your hand as though it is concluded. And then she would say, well, um, tell your mama, hey, for me and give her a big kiss and and you save me a piece of her good coconut cake next time and bring it over. Would you do that for me? Yeah, yes, Auntie, I would do that for you. Then you would go away, and three or four days later, the wart would fall off. Now, if we look at it as scientists now, there may have been something in the chemical component of the oil in her skin that interfered with the virus that causes warts. And as a result of the rubbing, 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 and maybe it was when she felt that the wart was saturated with the oil from her fingers, then she knew she could release it, but it wasn't a conscious thing. Um, so there may be a, a so-called logical explanation for that, but there are people all over the mountains who can take away a wart, talk away a wart. Isn't that interesting? That it never occurred to me that there would, could be some chemical thing. I thought you were going to say it was magic. Oh, no, the word just went out of my head. <laughs> no, what does it mean? Where it's all in your head? Oh, uh, psychosomatic. Uh, well, that, that is the word I was going to say next. Placebo. <laughs> placebo. I'm going to start over. <laughs> I can't sound like that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say placebo and that it was psychosomatic, but also who's to say that isn't magic. It works. We just exactly. don't know how it works yet. Exactly. And when we start to stretch our definition of what magic is, then magic and science get interwoven with everything else we're weaving together. The The other story that, that I do, I do remember this going on is that there was a belief when during my lifetime, when I was a baby, that if um, if a baby got fussy, that there was a danger that hives would break out inside the baby's body and kill it. So the holy crap! The, 
I know, isn't that wild? So the the remedy for that was strong catnip tea. And so you had to feed this baby strong catnip tea, and then maybe you would see the hives break out on the outside of the body, and you knew the baby would be okay. Well, here's what we know about catnip is that it's a soporific. So you've got uh, a potentially undernourished mother with an undernourished child. She may not have the kind of milk flow she needs. She is the wife of a subsistence farmer. She works really, really hard all the time, and she's probably stressed out a lot. And she may have more children. So what she does is she takes the baby to her, so there's that body-to-body contact, which we take for granted now in parenting. But that was not always the thing people did because they had to work so hard all the time. So they have body-to-body contact, and the the mother has made some strong, strong catnip tea. And she is dosing the baby with that, either with a spoon or maybe on a rag that she's squeezing the tea into the baby's mouth or the baby's sucking on the rag. And in between, she is sipping on the tea. So we know catnip is a soporific. So she drinks tea and starts to calm down. The baby drinks tea and starts to calm down. Perhaps her milk comes in better. But the process of that intimate bonding moment plus this this herb that we know has healing benefit led to the baby not dying of hives breaking out inside its body. (laughs) So, yeah, sometimes those old folkloric things have um they have a basis in real in real science and real botany and biology. This is probably going to be my favorite conversation of the month. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any daily practices or or regular practices if not daily that you'll share? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I really am an open book with all that stuff. Um, I want to be clear that I separate my magical folkloric practice from my spiritual practice. And there are some overlaps, of course, but when, when I sit down to do my morning prayers and I take the cloth off the altar and I light a candle and maybe I light a little incense and I do what I consider my morning prayers, I don't necessarily think of that as a magical act, though, frankly, everything we do is magical. I think of that as a more spiritual aspect. So most days, and not every day, but most days, I will sit at my home altar or I'll go outside and sit on the back stoop and um, and pray for people that I know need healing or help or guidance. And I will offer up gratitude for the things that that um, that I'm grateful for. And if someone has specifically, like right before I came on here, a friend of mine sent me a, a voice message that she was, she'd been, she's got COVID finally, finally it got her, tracked her down and got her. And she had a prayer she wanted me to do for her. So I do this kind of prayers and I think of that in my clergy role rather than my pre my uh, witch role. But then there are other people that come to me and there is a specific problem that they want an energetic treatment for that involves the kind of witchcraft that I do. 
and that's a different thing. And I do that as as it is demanded. But then I also do that for people in my family and and close friends who who need a boost. So I so I have a like a dual practice that is primarily praying and then working. So I always feel like witchcraft is something it's a series of practices I do. And sometimes I have spiritual help. I mean, my ancestors are, I would say, up my butt. That sounds so rude. <laughs> my ancestors are always hanging around with me. Yesterday, a friend of mine who is Taino, she came in for a tarot reading. And I said, I just have to ask you what's happening with your ancestor practice. And she went, well, I mean, I'm working on that. And I said, because they're all here in the room with my ancestors and their crowdness. And she said, really? And then she closed her eyes and she kind of reached out and she said, it's my grandmother and my great grandmother and somebody I don't know. I said, well, I know all the ones that are hanging around my shoulder. So hanging around my shoulder may sound like a nicer way to say it than up my butt, but they're (laughs) insistent. You know, once you, once you start doing ancestor, venerative ancestral work, you are going to find you call their, those spirits names and they'll just come hang out with you. They will. And, and you'll smell cigarette smoke when you don't smoke. You'll smell strong coffee when you haven't made coffee yet. You'll smell those things and go, oh, uh, well, that's Uncle Bob. That's Great Aunt Dorothy. That's whoever. This is so fascinating to me. I'm I'm trying to get into that, but I am have always been pretty closed off from my family. My family just does not <clears throat> talk to one another very freely. They never yeah. have. Yeah. So, well, we we have lost that in the West. The the notion of ancestor veneration. But let me let me offer you this piece that I absolutely believe is true, is that once once we all of us make the transition from matter to spirit, when we go to whatever place your culture believes you go when you die, that we keep our personality. But we also have a broader perspective so that we know that that thing that we did or those things that we did that were so terrible, we are aware of that. And we do what we can in recompense. So the best way to start ancestor veneration is to pick somebody that you personally knew and loved who loved you and who is now dead. That is the best way to start instead of I'm calling all my ancestors in because it's sow and tide and that's what I'm supposed to do. Well, trust me, if they all come, you will not be happy because it's an awful lot of people. So if you can start and even even if it's somebody that you didn't know, but it's somebody that that in the family stories. Oh, you remember great aunt Frankie? You remember her? And she always, she did the biggest, best spread at Christmas time. I love to go to her house because she always made that good punch. And so find a someone in your bloodline that everybody had respect for, even if you didn't love them or, and everybody loved and go to that person first. Because you don't have to, 
gosh, I don't, I don't know how anybody could do all your ancestors because that's that's an extreme overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. So if you can do your and that's what I've been trying to do. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just take it one at a time, baby, one at a time. So, you know, for most people, but not all people, it's a grandmother. And that was the person who spoiled you rotten and made the cookies that you love anytime you were coming over. My husband had a great, had a, an aunt and his aunt, she always, when he was coming over, she did, made him all the things he loved to eat and made sure that his, you know, had special toys and all that. So yeah, pick somebody that you, that you'd like to have a relationship with. Because that's what it's about, is establishing a relationship. Well, thank you. I will be doing that. Well, let mm. me know how it works. Because I think oh, well. I think you may be surprised. Um, I always advise people to start with um, a photograph, if you have one, a picture of the person, and just put it in a special place. You don't have to do a fancy table setting or any of that. Just a picture. And then... In my tradition, anyway, we, I mean, we feed people whether they're alive or dead. Let's just be honest. So fee feeding them, uh, for me, I, I start with some strong coffee. And I do not do alcohol until I know them because alcohol has an interesting effect on spirit folks. And I come from a long line of alcoholics on both sides of my family. So I don't necessarily want to to bring that into the conversation early on. But almost everybody back in the day drank strong coffee. I and remember my dad Yeah. brought my granddad a hot dog <laughs> at his grave. Oh, that was one of the fun I, it was one of the funniest things. A hot dog and a beer. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Perfect. And what do you mean when you say he brought them to him? Uh, was he dead? Was the grandpa dead? Oh yeah, granddad was dead, and we just went to his gravesite. And I re I don't remember how old I was. I was like I don't know twelve. I old enough 10. to remember. Yeah, and I just remember thinking this is this is weird, Dad. He didn't cook the hot dog. He just <laughs> <laughs> he just put a hot dog with some ketchup and mustard in a bun. None of it was warmed or heated or cooked at all. That and a beer <laughs> and left it, it on is, the gravestone. <laughs> it is literally the thought that counts. That is great. Well, we do that with burials. We do grave goods. What I think of as grave goods. And um, my mother's side of the family are all pretty much buried in this one cemetery. And the, and the director there is just used to us. That that's the weird family. No, they're going to be there until you completely cover the grave. They're just going to be hanging around till you cover the grave, and they're going to put a lot of crap in the grave. So you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a pack of Chesterfields. It's a crossword puzzle book. It's sharpened pencils to go with the crossword puzzle book. It's a beer. It's you know, uh, we we want want to make sure they've got that transition settled in. That sounds very Viking. It does, doesn't it? Well, they're Irish and Scots-Irish on that side. The other side's English. Yeah, my I've got a Cherokee friend, Mary Jo Moore, um, and if y'all don't know her work, please look her up at MaryJoMoore.com. She's a wonderful poet and artist, and she's a psychic, and she's just a, she's a real good friend of mine. 
And she used to joke about me. She said, you're the whitest white woman I know. And I was like, well, how dare you? And then, um, <laughs> then I got um, I got my DNA done. And I have more Neanderthal than I do anything that's not Western oh. Europe and the British Isles. And so I called her and I said, well, I got my DNA back, baby. And you are right. I am the whitest white woman. I am completely white. <laughs> Whiter than white. How? What is this question? Okay. <laughs> Would you say witchcraft has changed your life? Or is it such an innate part of your life that that's just the way it is? Well, certainly teaching it and writing about it have changed my life. So I, I consciously made that transition. Um, and that has led to a lot of travel and, and a lot of teaching and people knowing more about the kind of witchcraft I do. I was invited in 2008 up to Harvard to be part of a, a colloquium on for it was called Forging Folklore. And I did a paper on, uh, I called it Hill Folks Hoodoo and the question of cultural strip mining. And it was all about how people come into this region and they take and take and take and give nothing back. And that I have this set of skills and abilities that I know plenty of people practice. And I don't know that I want to teach that to people outside of my culture who have no respect for my culture. And it was something I was really wrestling with at that time. Um, but from that, Four years later, I wrote my first book, which is called Staubs in Ditchwater. And I did it more as uh, as writing down these odd bits of cultural detritus that I felt would disappear in the, as the culture was fading. Because now we have so many outlanders here that they don't, they don't know anything about Southern Appalachian culture, and they don't care to. And they're not interested at all in that. So I thought I was just going to write all that stuff down, the stuff I remembered, the stuff that I did, so that there was a written record of it. Well, that that was my arrogance because I did then a limited, very limited book tour, and I went up to visit friends in Virginia and friends in Kentucky and West Virginia, and I discovered that it's not that people aren't doing this stuff anymore. It's that they don't have a Facebook page. They don't hang out, you know, an, uh, an e-signal to say, yeah, come and see me. I can take those warts off and it'll cost you a hundred bucks. They just do it. And that's the way it was traditionally done in the hollers and coves and wherever that the, the yarb woman or the cove doctor or the granny had they had different people had different abilities. So if you were pregnant, you knew who was going to walk you through that pregnancy and be there to deliver the baby. And if your grandma was dying, you knew who to go to. If you had never been through that process, you knew who to go to who would walk you through that and walk you through washing the body and getting it prepped for burial. So there were different people with different abilities in these communities, and you knew who to go to. They didn't have to have... Uh, uh, they didn't have to call themselves Dr. Byron 
and Dr. Byron will whip you up a potion to do whatever. They just knew that they could come to Byron and she would be able to figure, she would do her best to figure out how to solve the situation. So that's, um, that putting all that, those pieces together was a bit of a comfort to know that there were other people out there doing it. It wasn't just some half remembered thing from my childhood that I was, I was doing myself. So that was good to know. And, and it did change things for me because then I started talking to other practitioners, um, in all of those states and finding out, well, now, what, where's your family from? And whether they're German, Scots, Irish, some places have a strong uh, African diaspora element to them. We don't have a particularly strong one here in the Southern Highlands because we didn't have a lot of big plantations. And I'm not saying there were not enslaved people here because there were. But though there wasn't a, a big enough uh, community of them to have much effect on the on the folklore, on the on the folk magic. You know, we had big effects from the Cherokee and the other indigenous people here and the Scots-Irish and the English and some German. But in some places, it's much more German. And if you go north, of course, into Middle Appalachia and above, you run into the Pennsylvania Dutch, the Deitch people. And that's a strong folkloric tradition, too. It is in Appalachia, but it's not... And it is not what I do as an Appalachian folkloric tradition. It has different roots. There, my sermon is over. <laughs> I keep forgetting that this is an interview. <laughs> and it's not just storytelling time. <laughs> I, I'm sorry to tell you this, Kim, but every interview with me becomes storytelling time. I tell people in my classes that, what you need to know is I'm just going to talk and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be talking about something my brother did in 1972 or I'm going to be telling you some crazy story my daughter did or whatever. But I'm perfectly happy to drag all of you to the edge of a rabbit hole and shove you down in it and then jump on top of you still talking, still talking. So it's all story time in my world. Well, that's what I want for this entire podcast. I want stories all the time. I love stories. Part I of my little tagline says something about stories. I want stories. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love people's stories. It's like going out and coming into their kitchen and having yes. to, to hear their stories. I love it. You sit on the on the porch mm-hmm. and you just listen. Well, I do all my Zoom meetings and um, and. Yeah, all of those kind of meetings in my kitchen so that everybody is with me in my kitchen. And if you could see behind me right now, you would see my stove and you'd see the uh, the sink and the wall and you'd see my kitchen. Because you, as far as I'm concerned right now, you are sitting with me in my kitchen. It feels like it. Good, good, because I want it to feel like that. Well, I'm in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are so many answers to that or questions. I, I can't. Can only we in the house. Only in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Not in life. <laughs> is it your broom closet? Is that what kind of closet is? It's a it's a walk in closet and it has a little nook oh, that I nice. put 
the fancy foam bumpy things. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I put the monitor up on the wall and I feel fancy like a professional podcaster. <laughs> well, aren't you? Aren't I'm a grown-up. You? <laughs> you are so fancy. What did I see today at the grocery store? It was something it was like alcohol that also was flavored like candy or it was like here's it was just like are you a grown-up or are you a child why don't you just drink coffee that tastes like coffee and not feel like it has to have peppermint or you know caramel caramel chino (laughs) yes i mean i do love those sometimes i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be hypocritical i do uh i do love uh caramel mocha if i'm on the road I actually don't drink coffee. I'm a Good sweet tea you. girl. I am both a tea and a coffee girl, but I I'm like sweet my tea. tea. Oh no, I don't. I used to do sweet tea, but I can't do that kind of sugar anymore. It it jacks my blood sugar up. So I do plain iced tea, but mostly I drink strong black English tea. I drink PG tips. Oh, yeah. I wanted his so black. I, I, I went to a fancy tea place that had high tea, and that's what they had. Oh, yeah. It's so good. It's my favorite. <clears throat> what would you say is your biggest motivator in your practice? <laughs> well, some of my big motivation is to kick people's tails and get them to actually practice what they talk about all the time. That's a big motivator. Another big motivator for me is that we stop thinking of the world that we live in most of the time as mundane. So I go to festivals and Sunday morning we're all packing up. Oh, I got to go back to mundania. Oh, I hate to leave where all my people are and go back to mundania. I'm just like, so for for a week out of the year, you go to, to a festival with quote unquote your people. And the rest of the time, you think you don't live in a world that's enchanted? What the hell is wrong with you? The whole world is enchanted. You don't get to just do magic when you're dancing around a fire with a bunch of other drunks. Magic is something that's all the time, and enchantment is everywhere. And enchantment is resistance. When we are looking at the way the world is right now, magic and enchantment are the best resistance we can come up with. I can guarantee you some of my listeners are feeling called out right now because in two weeks, there is a week, there's an event that we're, that me and a bunch of my friends are going to. Well, well good. And it's all a bunch of witches. Yes. And I mean, I go to that. I, I had a, for, I, in six weeks, I did five festivals this year. I'm just saying, bring the magic home, realize the magic at home. So that that is a special time when you're with friends, but the rest of the time you're like driving to the grocery store. That's magic. Use your magic. And I tell people to use magic all the time. And that gets me in trouble with all kinds of people. I just go, don't use your person. Don't use your personal energetic field. Don't use your life force to do magic. Pull energy out of the earth, pull it out of the sky and do magic all the time. And people are like, well, but, but I mean, shouldn't I save it? No. Because if you wait until you actually need it, you're not going to be competent to do it. So find something find something you need all the time. 
And if you live in an urban area, you're going to need parking all the time. Perfect a parking magic, whatever the spell is, perfect it so that it, so that it almost never fails. And do it all the time because otherwise when the call goes out, we are going to change the direction of this war or this action or this person. Then you got to go scrambling in your bookshelf to find a spell that'll work. Uh-uh. We call it practicing witchcraft for a reason. And you can best practice it when you see yourself in a world in which magic exists, that you are part of that magic, part of that world, and all of it is enchanted. Not just the one week that you're out in the country. All the time. So don't feel called out. Feel called in. That, that, I'm calling you in. That view is interesting to me because I used to drive 45 minutes to work every day. And so I would use magic to keep traffic flow. It was from one city to another city with interstate in between. So traffic safety, traffic flow. Hopefully there's no ice on the road because it was when I lived in Colorado and I used mm. to do that every day to and from work. And now I don't drive anywhere because I work from home and I feel like I hardly ever do magic anymore. And part of it is because I did so much magic in the car. Yeah. I need to yeah. find other ways to, I need to find stuff to do. Yeah. Well, you're home now and you can even, you could target ma magic outside the home. If you've got your wards up and everything is going well, is target stuff outside. I guarantee where you live, some politician is making some stupid decisions. I guarantee Lord. it. <laughs> I would also guarantee it. Oh. Uh, so that magic too. I, I need, well, okay. New goal for me then that. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there will come a time, I think, and I, I know this is true for several people that I know where you're just doing it all the time and you don't think about it. It's like when you're driving your car, you don't, well, you probably don't think about using your turn signal because it's automatic. Or you may be a person who doesn't ever use your damn turn signal. I don't know. But we don't think much about, oh, I'm turning right on and put my signal on. It just, we do that because it's part of what we do. And it happens like that with magic. Oh, I'm going downtown to the library. I'm going to need a place to park. Done. It's done. And that's the world I want to see. We were all doing that. And you, you can see that sometimes. And I've had this happen more than once. Where you'll be in a car with two other witches. And you're going to go to that great burger place downtown. And you, you go. And you realize on your way, as you're about to pass the burger place, that you didn't do the parking spell. And nobody else in the car did either. So you go, okay, one of us needs to do the parking spell. Everyone in the car will do whatever their parking spell is. You go around the block and three places will open up. Because hmm. everybody individually did their parking spell. And it's hilarious when that happens. I need to get out more. <laughs> <laughs> and make like local friends. I moved here like right before COVID. So I, ha I don't have oh. any social group locally anymore. No. Well, and and it's hard when you're grown up. It really is. I've been advising some of my tarot clients 
to uh, to look at their local Unitarian Universalist church because the the religious part of it won't be onerous, and they do so much good social justice work, and they get together for all kinds of funny parties and stuff like that, and you can you can meet like-minded people there. Um, so that's one place to start. But yeah, I know several people who moved to a, what they thought was going to be the perfect place for them, and it would have been except we got closed down because of a global pandemic. Well, it is kind of perfect. It's forty, still 45 minutes from town. <laughs> oh, that is wonderful, but oh yeah, 45 it's, minutes. Yeah, it's a, it's a little way. I do actually have some friends in town who are witches because I consign at a, a store, a witch store in town. Nice. But it's a very far drive and gas is really expensive right now. And I work from home, so yeah, I pick and choose and I, and I don't like to socialize. Anyway, this isn't about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I describe myself as a high-functioning introvert. Yes. I don't so think I'm, I'm high-functioning, though. <laughs> so I'm good when I'm like at a festival and I'm teaching and I'm on – uh, but sometimes, but at some point, I'm going to have to go back to wherever I'm sleeping, and I'll have to sit in the corner and just be very quiet. Like no, yeah, you take no. your you take your talkie person costume off. I do, and I I wrap my little comfy blanket around me and go, oh, here I am. Here's the land under my feet. Oh, is that the sky? What kind of bird was that just flew by? Yeah, I am that annoying person that if you don't know what creatures and plants are around you, I, w- I will be the one who is like, what is that thing right there? That looks like a mugwort. Is that a mugwort? We're going to look it up right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, and, and, I think I am too. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good thing to be. Like Curved Bill Thrasher, that was the first thing I learned before we even moved here when we were visiting to see if I wanted to move here. Ooh. That sounds like a wonderful. Is it is it a big bird like a brown thrasher? Brown thrasher? I don't know. It's about the size of a robin, maybe a little bit bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have brown thrashers here, and they are very, they're friendly, weird birds, and they're big. I, I'm, I guess they're big as far as birds go. Yeah, I mean, like. Compared to sparrows and titmice and yeah, they're bigger. Content- yeah, definitely it's bigger. It's a bigger bird, like a blue jay. It's like the size of a blue jay. I miss blue jays so much. <laughs> they're such characters, aren't they? The thrashers take the place of blue jays and being rowdy, loud kind of bully. Good. <laughs> Good. And do you have um, the crows there that have the white on their shoulders? I have not seen any crows. We have some Sonoran ravens. Ooh. That? I'm looking that but up. They, right they, they don't come close to me. They stay about three acres away. Some, there's like a wild, uh, not wild bird. There's a game bird breeder, like across the wash from us. <laughs> really? Yeah, and so he has all kinds of like we're here we hear peacocks and pheasants calling and all kinds of crazy sounds. And the the Harris hawks hang out on top of the cages and the the um ravens sort of chill out over there too. I think there's probably feed laying around. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Plus they come to mock their um uh, their com- compatriots that are stuck in cages. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're stuck. I do kind of want to draw them over here, but my yeah. husband wants to get into falconry and I don't want to have oh. ravens hanging out when he's trying to fly the bird because then yeah. I'm not trying to have a bird argument in our yard. <laughs> no, no. And ravens like to argue. They're that like the so devil's, devil's advocate, you know, like you're, <laughs> the people on Facebook that, yeah, I see your point, but let me just play the devil's advocate for a minute. How about, how about you don't? I don't need, I don't need that out of kit. No. <laughs> but I'm looking at them. I just looked, I did a Google image search and they're beautiful. They're big too. Yep. And you, you can hear them croaking. <laughs> away. Yes, it, it's not an attractive call. But I guess it is attractive. It attracts their people. I like it. And I was I hearing crows. Like I want to give them some tea. It's like they <laughs> could have just a little sup of tea. Have you got bears where you are? Not in my neighborhood, but they are up in the mountains. Like there, there was just one spotted up. I'm on the southeast part of Tucson. Like I'm uh -huh. not in Tucson, but I'm on the southeast part and in the northeast there was like a bear in the schoolyard or something gosh isn't that and there's uh, a there's a jaguar named el jefe that they found roaming around just south of us and there's cougars and bob we've seen i've chased a bobcat out of my yard because they were going after the chickens and quail and we found a gila monster in the yard one time this is just nature city i love it here i love that We've got a, a neighborhood bear. It's young. I think it probably is about two years old. And it's got a collar on. So somebody has, um, you know, the fish and wildlife people have tagged it. But that little feller, people will post, oh, here, I, the bear was in my yard today and it did this. And I've got a neighbor behind me who's got a gentle slope in their yard. And she posted a, a video of the bear. He just kind of laid down at the top or she laid down at the top of the hill and rolled like a child rolled was, all the way down i was hoping you said up. he was tumbling <laughs> yeah and then he got up and kind of shook himself a little bit like oh that was fun oh good is he a and, trash bear oh well all of them are we 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 are so highly developed at this point here that we have run them out of their habitat so now that now our habitat is their habitat and uh, my neighbor down here, who I don't know very well, he's kind of new to the neighborhood. I heard him yelling one day, and then I heard his dog bark. And I looked out the window, and the bear had turned over his trash. And I was like, ha, 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 ha. Um, and then the bear, and he's yelling, the dog's barking, and the bear is slowly just walking up the street. Well, our front gate was open, and the bear just came in. It came up the steps, up the walk, and I yelled at my husband, there's a bear in the yard. Come and see, come and see, come and see. And by the time he came downstairs, I went around to the back door so I could come around the side of the house and see it. And it had tried to open up our recycling. And we just don't have a lot of trash and recycling. We just don't make, make much of that. And he was just sitting on the ground looking at it like, well, I thought there was going to be something to eat here. And I, and I walked not close to him. I was probably 15, 20 feet away. I said, buddy, what you doing? And he just looked at me and he went, <clears throat> and he got <laughs> up and he walked away back to the front of the house and down the steps. Oh, 
he was so exhausted, but people are exhausting. And we are. We are exhausting. Yeah. To everyone, everything. Yes. We need to just rest ourselves. Hmm. I wonder if we will do that. It seems like COVID was a, ch- a chance for us to do that, but most of us just couldn't rest. Wasted that, uh, wasted that attempt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Would you say that you ever have imposter syndrome about your witchcraft? Oh, constantly. Well, Really? Okay. No, no. I don't have imposter syndrome about my witchcraft. Because I feel very confident about that. Um, but what I get imposter syndrome about is when when people will, somebody will contact me really out of market for me. And they go, oh, my God, I've heard all about you. Would you come to our, whatever our event is? Oh, my gosh, that would be so amazing. And I'm like, how do you even know who I am? And they're like, no, everybody knows who you are. What? What do you mean how I know who you So that is when I feel like, uh yeah, you don't really know who I am. Do you? Really? <laughs> it's kind of nice. Um, I was just in the Finger Lakes in New York for a, a goddess event, and most of the people there did not know who I was. And I, I made some offhand remark about Tower Time, and they were like, what are you talking about? And I went, oh, what? I, I can trot out all those sermons, and you've never heard them? This is going to be great. <laughs> So I indoctrinated a whole new group of women into Appalachian folk magic and tower time. And and we collectively came to the conclusion that we have already defeated the patriarchy. Now we're just cleaning up the mess. And I think holding that image in my head is going to change everything for me. It's Can you done. share what you're talking about? Yes. So with tower time... I believe that these top-down structures, and it's not just me. This is something that has happened. People kind of received this information or had these visions starting about 1995, I think, about um, that these systems, these top-down hierarchical systems are collapsing. And it was, and it is incumbent on us to build the new systems so that we don't build another hierarchy and have and try to make that work again because they don't, they are effective and efficient, but they don't work for the majority of people. Um, so that's where the tower time thing comes from. And I mean, since as far back as I can remember, we have talked about, oh, if only the patriarchy would be over and then we could have the kind of world we want. Well, I'm sitting on Seneca Lake. And if I could have seen it from there, I was within a crow fly of where all those 19th century feminists decided we're going to get the vote. And if men don't like it, they can kiss our fluffy butts. So, and I was with a whole bunch of women who were talking about revolution and evolution and all that. And it just came to, I mean, I mentioned it, but I think it came to a lot of us at the same time that if we move forward with the belief that we have already conquered those systems, because we're watching them collapse right now. So we have already mm-hmm. lost those systems. We haven't conquered them. We're letting them fall to bits all by themselves. So here we are, 
And we are already living in that mother world. And we know people, that cute couple that's doing organic farming. And we know that handful of midwives that are doing all. We know all those people. They're already here. We have already set up the systems. And now it's just a matter of cleaning up the mess that the other systems have left behind. And I think when I can wrap my head around that really and truly and write a good, strong essay about it, it's going to change some people's thoughts. Okay, I'm excited for that. <laughs> yeah, I kind of am too. We've been calling it Mother World, and that's not something I came up with. Um, Kathy, who does the Glastonbury Goddess Temple, she's been talking about the Mother World for at least 20 years, I think. Hmm. And there are groups of primarily women, but there are groups all over the world that are saying these systems are collapsing and we here's the new system. It's all about mutual aid and it's all about you be you, I be me, and, you know, you don't get my stuff and I don't get your stuff. And we have to do something together. We'll figure out how we do that. That's the dream. It is. And let's just say it's, it's where we are. Well, it's where we are. So that instead of calling somebody out because, oh, how can you – Go with all that patriarchal bullshit. Instead, you go, wow, well, that that's really, I mean, the way the world is now here in Mother World, you know, we would have a different way of approaching that. We'd approach it like this. We'd approach it uh, not competitively, but cooperatively. So how can we come together cooperatively to solve what that problem is? Instead of going, those damn politicians all over, blah, 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 blah. Is you just say to them, well, I mean, that, I I don't see how that's really going to work very well, but how about if we approach it a different way? Hmm? It's going to it's going to require us to be involved, but so many of us are involved already. Even it's if we such just a be the change sort of. Yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. Be the reality that it's the mother world and we're in it. Whew. Golly! Oh glad to be my gosh! Aren't you glad to be out of six thousand years? All those patriarchal systems. Whew. Now let's figure out how we're really going to educate the children. How are we going to do that? Let's figure out how we're really going to give health care to the people who need it. That's the thing we're doing now. And so we know there are all sorts of people. The, the doc in the box is not a perfect example, but doc in the box means you don't have to go to the emergency room. And if, and if it's something that is easily fixable, it can be fixed there. But you may have somebody in your neighborhood who's really good at first aid, and that's really what you need. So you it's go down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or or the cousin or the neighbor that you know uh, just redid their Red Cross first aid certification. And then maybe you think beyond that and you think, well, gosh, everybody needs to have somebody like that in their neighborhood. And I don't have anybody like that in my neighborhood. I'm going to go get the Red Cross certification. I'm going to have that. And then everything changes because it's I already. I if changed. I could top my. My neighbors, we are the youngest people in this neighborhood and yeah. on our street. So I wonder if we could talk them into it. Well, I think you would have, you may have to entice them into it, invite them into it. Hmm. You'll figure it out. You'll I'm not it. thinking about healthcare specifically. I'm thinking about. This is the neighbor who knows how to do plumbing. This is the neighbor. Like I'm an occupational therapy assistant and my husband was a combat medic. So we're the medical people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
But you, what you need is somebody who can help you figure out why the kitchen sink oh, isn't draining. The electric, the electric. I need the electric. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Yes. New and, goal. And you, <laughs> you find that out in really interesting ways. Like we had neighbors, and they they have since um, left the neighborhood, and in fact, they have died because they were older neighbors. And I I saw them out on their back porch one day and I was in I had wonderful glorious tomatoes that year I literally had an armload of tomatoes and I saw them and I yelled down the hill have y'all got tomatoes and they were like no we didn't I said hang on I'm on my way and I put them down in my shirt the skirt of my shirt and down the down the road and I said here what do y'all need you like tomatoes you want all these tomatoes you just want some of them and there's something about that kind of generosity that really opens doors with neighbors. Mm-hmm. Oh, I made this enormous cake. And if my husband and I eat all of this cake, we're going to get foundered on it. So would y'all take some of this blueberry cake off my hands? I mean, it's it's an old-fashioned way of being that we've kind of lost track of. I kind of do that because yeah, I don't want my neighbors to complain about whatever. So I'll be like, take them some of the eggs. Here, take this some of these vegetables we got. See? One time I accidentally, it didn't work out so well because the pie I made turned out to be kind of gross. And I didn't know until actually they, after they already had it. So that was bad. But, <laughs> but other again, than that. Again, that's, that's the thought that counts. They might taste it and go, bless her heart. They did. Oh, she, <laughs> she. Well, she that was that was very thoughtful of her. That poor as dumb they, girl who can't bake. <laughs> as they rake it into the compost. Uh, yeah, that was. Did she use salt in there instead of sugar? Can you tell what happened? I don't know, honey. But but is, you thought enough. That's probably the conversation they had. <laughs> <laughs> and see what could come from that is that somebody in that household would go, "Well, Miss Kim." I, I really appreciate that pie, and I just wanted to share with you the way my mother used to make pie. Yes. If you want to come by the house one day when I'm making a pie, I'll be glad to show you how to do that. And then you can be like, oh, thank you. I would love that very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, and in mother world, that's how we behave. We don't stand on ceremony and go, dear God, did you taste that pie you sent us? Because it was... <laughs> awful instead you go that was just the most thoughtful thing i need you to know though that we can't really have the, that kind of carbohydrates in our diet so uh just you know letting you know <laughs> well now they call and tell us when there's a rattlesnake in the driveway or the bobcats around so there, that's nice. there you go that's perfect what kind of rattlesnake you got oh diamondback i think western diamondback oh yeah yeah that makes sense we have timber rattlers here, yeah. and they are very handsome snakes. But you do not want to get bitten by one. I don't want to get bitten by any snake. But <laughs> nope. Yeah, the, one of the places that I frequent a lot and go to festivals at that is is uh, former strip mine land, and so there's lots of critters. All the critters you just mentioned, pretty much, and and more, and. And a friend of mine said, oh, my, my boyfriend got bitten by a copperhead. And I went, what? Yeah, we were getting some firewood 
at this campsite. We were getting some firewood down and I jumped off and I went, oh, snake. And, and my boyfriend thought I was joking. And then I said, no, look right there. It's a copperhead because they blend in so well with dry mm-hmm. and, um And here's what the idiot did. He decided he was oh, going to no. move it with a stick. Yep. So if he had just left the snake alone and they'd gone away and come back later for firewood, it would have been fine. No, he had to move it with a stick. And as he was putting it down on the end of the stick, after he tried to pick it up with the stick several times and gotten it really good and mad. Then he tried to put it down on the ground and it bit him in the arm. And I said, that, that wasn't the snake's fault. That was just, that was a stupid move. Why you always got to pick up a snake? Just, just leave him alone. <laughs> don't prove your manhood by picking up snakes. Just don't find another way. And I think we can both think of other ways Manhood could be proved. So there. Well, with all this social discussion, can you, do you feel like social media affects your practice? Yes. It certainly affects my talking about my practice because I have, I have learned that people like little bits of information. They don't want you to wait until a project is finished and go, ta-da, here's my project. They want to hear all along the way. So I got my book back from Llewellyn, and I got all the notes. And what I love about editing is that now we're a team of people making a book. People in social media, they, they like that. It gives them the sense of being part of the drama part of the process and so that has affected how I talk about my work because normally I would just do my work and it would just be done and Mm -hmm. and that's that that would be my choice but I know that for the people who follow me and also for the people who are genuinely my friends that they really love hearing all those little tidbits so yeah I guess it's it it has changed how I talk about my practice, but probably not my practice. And there's still plenty of stuff. If you follow me on Facebook, you think you know everything there is to know about me because I come in and out there all day long, dropping a little this, giving you a funny meme, telling you a story about some terrible thing that's going in the environment. And, and you, there are people who think they know all about me. And they don't. They only know what I tell them. They only know what I allow them to know. So that I'm not somebody who, if I get sick, I don't go onto social media and go, oh, my God, I'm so sick today. I just feel awful, and I can't stop blowing my nose. I don't, I don't tell them any of that stuff, none of it, because I still am a very private person. Hmm. That makes me – I do that, too not consciously um, with my patrons. And I didn't realize it until you just said it out loud, verbally verbalized it. <laughs> that you drop in the tidbits. Yeah. Hmm. Well, they, they seem to like, I know when I go, when I go, what I call radio silence, 
if I'm writing or if I'm in, if it's a heavy travel time and I can't, I don't have Wi-Fi where I'm going, that people, they say that they miss me. Oh, where have you been? We haven't heard from you since the day before yesterday. So I don't. That's I don't so like weird. What? It's so weird that people think that they somehow need or should have access to us constantly. Yeah. And that they somehow are entitled to that. Yes. I didn't want to say the word, but yes. Well, and, and most people who contact me, to be honest, they're people who need help. And somebody has said, well, why don't you talk to so-and-so? Cause she knows how to do that. Um, but it, it always makes me laugh when the message begins with, Hey Byron, I know you're really busy, but, and there is a sense, there's a sense in that. I know you're really busy, but I know you're going to make time for me. I know that things special. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm important to you because they feel like they, and they are important to me. It's not a matter of them feeling like it. They really are important to me. And so when somebody says, I know you're really busy, but I will do my best to, to do what I can for them so that they do have a sense of me listening because I do listen. And yes, I am. I, I do get a little frustrated when I know you're really busy, but, and then I answer them with, I'll get that to, to that as soon as I can. And then they just keep barraging me. Like, I, I, are you remembering that you said you'd, yes, I'm remembering that you do not need to keep poking me. I will do what I can. When you said you know I'm busy. (laughs) Yeah. So your patience, I will be very grateful for your patience as I work through this. Because some stuff is easy. Um, You you give me a situation and I'll go, oh, well, here's what I would do. Blah, 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 blah. And other situations, I'm like, I've never been faced with that situation before or I've been faced with it before and the protocols that we used for it didn't work. So I need to go back to square one. So hang on. But the other thing about all of that is that almost no one, when it is completed, will check back with me and tell me whether or not it worked. So I will have to go back through the messenger Hmm. feed and go, Hey, Barbara Jean, three months ago, you asked me for help with this thing. How did that finally work out? So they don't think to get back to me and let me know if it worked or not. And and maybe it's the same. I don't want to bother you with this because I know you're busy, but I really would appreciate knowing that thing that you taught me how to do. It worked like a charm or that thing didn't work worth crap. You need to rethink that. It's funny, isn't it? I will be thinking about if I've asked people for help, if I need to tell them what happened. But I can't do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a woman who contacted me. It's been several months ago now. And her son, who she adores, was facing a, a kind of an ugly court case. And she explained to me what was going on. And she wanted help that they, that the jury and the judge, whatever, see, see all of the permutations of the situation and understand that he is not at fault. Um, so we did figure out two or three different kind of workings that were possible. 
and they were for her to do. And I said, and I will do energetic support for that. And, um, and I still don't know how that court case worked out. But she is still on social media. She's still on social media. Talking about her own business and her own spiritual stuff. And it's just like, okay. But uh, it's fine. If I'm, if I really wanted to know, I would, um, I would contact her and say, how'd that thing finally work out? But I've just moved on. And I think a lot of times we all have to just move on. How do you feel like you use social media to affect others or do you? Oh, I will go do my altar time in the morning and it's like I get a download of information about stuff. And that's when I will go on to, to Facebook and often then to Twitter or Insta or and Insta. And I will, although today is a day that it would be wise for you to get good and grounded, ground deeply, get your shields up. And sometimes I will get a whiff and I guess it's like a whiff with my mind's nose. It's not an actual whiff, but I'll get a whiff of something and I will just go onto Facebook and I'll go get your shields up and get them up now. And it affects people because they, they will come in and they'll go, Oh, you know, I felt like something was weird. I felt like something was off. Yeah. I'm getting my shields. up. got my shields up. I did it. I got my shields up. And whether the whiff I got was something that was just for me and I put my shields up or whether it was cultural or, or a neighborhood thing, I have put the word out there, get your shields up because it doesn't hurt any of us to practice our shielding. So if it's not something headed directly for you, then all you have done is grounded and put your shields up and practice doing that. And if it is something that is headed directly for you, you have a chance of bouncing that off and not having to deal with it. So, yeah, I, I do a fair amount of that. Hmm. My throat is doing stuff. Oh, no. You need a little sip of tea. I'm trying to sip water. Maybe it's an allergy. I think it's allergies. Oh. What would you say was your best or worst experience with witchcraft? You can interpret that any way you want. Whatever way is most entertaining for you. <laughs> well, I don't think this is exactly witchcraft, but I'm going to tell you two quick stories. And they both have to do with Samhain. So I'm the I'm the big ancestor person. Yeah, do your ancestors. No, no, no. So we were doing we've been doing an ancestor vigil in this community for about 22, 23 years. And um the liturgy of it changes periodically a little, you know, we tweak it and add different things, but it basically the, the dramatic point, high point of this ceremony, this ritual is that we open the veil, we open crack open the veil and we allow our ancestors, we invite our ancestors to be present with us in this ritual. 
Well, one time when we did it at a at a river park that is right across from uh, where the the stay the trains couple and uncouple. So we do chanting, we do tonal stuff to raise the energy, raise the energy, and then I will say something like "Let it go" or "Release it." And we were doing it that night, and I said, "Let it go," and the coupling sounded like a, an enormous cast iron gate opening up. Yeah, I like that sound. Yeah, and everybody kind of looked at each other like, did we just open the gate between the worlds? <laughs> so then we do the, uh, we love our ancestors, and yeah, I want to re- remember this one and this one. It's just a little piece of this ritual that we do. And then we allow the gates to close, and damned if it didn't do that again. <laughs> so it was this wonderful uh, synchronicitous event that we all went away knowing, yeah, it was just the trains coupling. It's not a big deal. But we're all like, yeah, but that moment, that moment when we heard that sound. And we were in that exact same park um, for a, a Samhain ritual. And we were calling in Hecate and the Kalyak and the Baba Yaga. And little did we know the park was going to be closed in just a few hours because they were looking for the bodies of these two girls who had disappeared and they were found within a mile of where we were doing this ritual. But we didn't know that at the time. So we, we did the chanting to do this and we did the prayers to honor this blah, 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 blah. And then we are doing this whole thing to the Baba Yaga and it required us to raise our arms up as though we were in, we had the mortar and pestle and we were going across the sky and we all looked up into the sky and we saw something big and round with things sticking out of it fly over us. And I saw it and I was like, now you are hallucinating. You have not had enough sleep. You have been drinking Irish whiskey all day. What the hell was that? And and then I heard Baba Yaga. It was the Baba Yaga. So all of us, we we had the corporate insanity of of calling the Baba Yaga and seeing her fly across the sky. So what it was, I don't know. Could it have been a drone? Maybe. But there were no lights on it. It was dark and it looked big and solid and round with things sticking out. So those, I mean, there's there's so many stories like that, like the time my coven was meeting and again, Samhain. And I used to do this. I had this have this mask and it's an old woman mask with a hood and she's got kind of white hair that sticks out. And I used to hang her behind the altar when we were talking about uh, welcoming the winter queen and so we were we had done the ritual and it was lovely and we were shepherding the children into the house because they were cold and whiny and and we got inside and um and they were like it is it's always such a treat to see her kind of over your shoulder there she is the kaliak the winter queen has come and i'm like yeah i love doing that and i help somebody needs to help me remember to go down and, and pick that up in a few minutes, you know, once we have our wine and water, or whatever, then I go in the bedroom and the mask is still in the bedroom. I never took it down to the circle. So they all saw her over my shoulder, but the mask we used never got down. There. Yeah. 
I love stories like that. <laughs> so that's why it just feels like a world that I thoroughly inhabit. Um, people have accused me of being uh, a Terry Pratchett witch, and I think I am. <laughs> and I have said that Terry Pratchett knew more about the genuine uses of magic than most of the people writing about magic today. He just understood it, that it was all tied into the land, into, in his case, into the chalk, and that it was about understanding the way nature works, that nothing is really supernatural. It's Supernatural is something in nature we don't understand yet. So, yeah, so I guess I am kind of a Terry Pratchett witch. There are worse witches to be. Mm-hmm. Right? Hallelujah. Who would you say are the, who or what would you say are the three biggest influences on your practice? The land, my ancestors, and and my love for the practice, I guess. No, no, no. The land, number one, my ancestors, and curiosity. Cause I just, That's a good one. I just think about things, I think, in a quirky kind of way. Like the thing about the mother world. It's like, well, how about if we just look at it this way? What, what if it's done? And people are like, what do you mean? It's not done? Look around you. It's not done. It's like, well, we're just cleaning up messes now. Oh. Oh. So, yeah. I'm just nosy. It's a good thing I'm not a cat. Somebody asked me yesterday why I do this podcast, and my answer was because I'm nosy. (laughs) (laughs) It's the truth. I just like knowing stuff. I like people to tell me stuff. And and then this lets me ask people stuff, and then they tell me. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. See, I think you and I are like, Sisters from other mothers or something. <laughs> Cousins at least. Definitely. I got family in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the mountains. Oh, Shelby. Way. Oh, Shelby. I, I'm, I didn't mean to, that to sound mysterious. Um, Shelby. would <laughs> be more exciting daughter, if it was. <laughs> I, well, I kind of love Shelby. Um, my daughter lived in Charlotte for a while, and so we would drive down that highway 74 rather than take the interstate and Shelby on Saturday morning was the busiest damn town I was ever in Saturday morning and I was at an event that a group of Catawba area folks had done I said what is the deal what's going on today and they said what do you mean I said you can't get through Shelby the traffic is backed up and they went well Saturday and I said and is there like a farmer's market or tailgate? And they went, well, it's always like that on Saturday. So Shelby is just crazy Saturday morning. <laughs> and and I love it. My favorite thrift store used to be in Shelby, but they closed it. Yeah, I, I'm pretty fond of Shelby. They got a nice Chinese restaurant, too. Really? Uh-huh. I just know there's a good barbecue place there. Oh, yeah, several. When did you leave? How long ago? I did not actually live there. My grandmother lived oh. there and my aunt and I think one of my cousins. I grew up in Virginia. In Roanoke. Oh, Virginia. I love Roanoke. What a cool town. 
and then I'm when I was in the army, I got stationed at Fort Bragg in Fayetteville, and now my family followed me down there, and they stayed in Fayetteville, and then my grandmother went with my aunt over in Shelby, but they're from North Carolina. I just didn't know them in North Carolina. I knew them in Virginia because they were up there for when I was born. Got it. And now my sister goes to UNC. I mean, my niece goes to UNC Charlotte and I'm very proud of her. (laughs) She was on the chancellor's list. Yay. Rock on. So you have deep North Carolina connections, even though you're from Virginia. Yep. And that's where the best uh, barbecue in the entire world is. That is true. And I go to Kansas City and they're like, oh, you got to try the barbecue. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. Oh, come on. It's it's the best barbecue in the world. I'm like, it's all right. That is heresy. How dare you? All right. Has it got some like vinegar shit in it? Because not my favorite. Anyway, yeah, the barbecue wars are like the mayonnaise wars. You don't really want to get started on them. Which team are you on for mayonnaise? I don't uh, actually like mayonnaise, but. <laughs> I'll see. Yeah. I love mayonnaise and it's Duke's and there's no yes, other kind of mayonnaise. Yes. Uh, I would bother <laughs> to eat anything else. I feel like, but, but what about Blue Play? What about Hellman's? It's like nope. they all have sugar in them. You know what does not have sugar in it? Duke's is the only one. Now, I actually make my own because I use it so seldom. I make it now. Yes. Plus I got eggs. So, but and if I not, bought it, it would be Duke's. What kind of chickens do you have? Mutts. We Good. started out with Rhode Island Reds and a Buff Orpington. Uh, we have one purebred that is a, well, theoretically, that we bought from Ace Hardware. <laughs> 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 it's an Osterlorp. But Ooh. the rest are like Polish yard birds that, and they're beautiful. They're beautiful. Um. But they're all mutts. I love that. I, I grew up with uh, Rhode Island Reds. And they're such reliable, good chickens. I really <coughs> want speckled Sussex. Just because they're Ooh. pretty. The Orpingtons are pretty too. <sighs> they're just dull. <laughs> Well, I like the dots. <laughs> I am a, I'm a person who eats meat. I'm a me carnivore, and I also raise vegetables. And people will say to me, "I don't know how you can eat something that's got a face. How can you eat chicken?" And I say to them, "Look, I've raised chicken and I've raised broccoli, and I'm telling you, broccoli is as sentient as chickens. It's just not mobile." Chickens, they're not the bright. They're not as vicious as chickens either. (laughs) No, broccoli. I've never known broccoli to be vicious. Never. Yeah. Chickens are pretty. Now, I have to admit, I haven't had chickens here, but our neighbors have had chickens and they were free ranging in my yard. And I would go out and talk to them. Um, And one day they all dove for the hedge. And they're all under the hedge, still scratching and burping and all that thing, all those things chickens do. And I thought, oh, what the hell is going on? And then I hear that high cry above me. And the hawk was here. We have a hawk that, that ultimately ate all those chickens. But you can oh. hear that. And I thought, oh, they heard the hawk before I did. And they ran for cover. That's pretty smart. 
Hmm. One of our Harris Hawks actually, I think it was like its first year and it didn't know any better because the adults don't mess with the chickens because they're so big, but it, it went into the chicken yard under the netting that I have Oof. and was sitting on one of my hands and <laughs> we went out there and scared her off and she sat on the fence and yelled at us. I I have a, a friend out in the country because I'm not in the country anymore. Um, and he used to breed fighting cocks and he had two like prize cocks and one, one at a time they would go out and be with the hens and, and guard the hens as they walked around together. And, uh, a red tail stooped and that rooster, that fighting cock, ripped it to shreds. And I did not see this, but my friend said it was the most vicious thing he had ever seen. And he did cockfighting, but it was that extra level of protecting my women that the rooster brought to it. And finally was up against another bird that was his was his equal and and my friend said it was the most astounding thing he had ever seen but the, the, the game cock just took it apart and the and the hens were like <laughs> as hens we did. had a rooster we had a rooster when that stupid hawk went in there he was the cow most cowardly thing except when it came to me Oh. He wouldn't fight anything but me. My husband could go in there. He would kind of go after him a little bit, but not like with me. And once we got one of his sons, <laughs> that rooster went in the pot. <laughs> good. And you like eating him. And his, it was so good. <laughs> and his, but his son is the sweetest rooster and he does a good job telling them when they need to go undercover. And he's just the most beautiful thing. And his name is Atreides because we're giant nerds. And I love that name. Oh, that is a, it's a very good name. Though it's a creepy story. A very creepy story. Yes, it is. (laughs) Yeah. But he's, he's, he does a good job. This is so not what this podcast is supposed to be about. (laughs) Sorry. It, It goes from magic to farming. And that just shows you where I am, though. That's what my magic is all based in the land. Me too. I mean, I have a, a, a YouTube um, account called Homestead Witchery. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go look for that. It's mostly, I don't make many videos now because it got to be a million degrees and uh, my hip is about to fall off and I'm getting it replaced oh, at honey. the end of next month. <laughs> good, good. Oh, that's, yeah, you had said when we were emailing back and forth. You want yeah. to get this done as soon as you could. Well, good. I, I understand that that is an easier surgery than knee replacement. It's easier. The the recovery time is shorter. Huh. I didn't. None I, of it's easy. That's who I used to work with is people who would get hips and knees and shoulders when I was an occupational therapy assistant. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember the recovery time. I just remember thinking, man, I'm glad that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> now you'll have your own PT monster. At 50. Yeah. That's anyway, that's why I haven't been doing very much outside. <laughs> no. I, I hear you. 
Oh yeah, I had a good spring garden this year, and then I planted the summer garden, and then I went on tour. And it's just oh. it's, a night, it's a nightmare out there. So as soon as it cools down enough, I have to get suited up because the mosquitoes are rampant, mm-hmm. um, and I got to clear it out. But I just told my husband it's just going to lie fallow because I, I don't have time to tend it. I have time to plant it, but I don't have time to tend it. And the way the world is here, I mean, we are technically a deciduous semi-tropical rainforest, and we have had a lot of rain this year. So the weeds are like, yay, let's do this again. And then I pull them all out, and they're like, come on, let's do it. I just pulled an entire dog yard full of pigweed yesterday morning. Yeah, yeah. It made me want to die because my hip hurt, but <laughs> it but was how to my shoulders. I'm five six, yeah. and it was up to my shoulders. <laughs> yeah, because we it's monsoon, and it finally we actually got monsoon this year. Yeah, you finally did get rain. Holy moly! And that must be very different than growing up in Virginia. Well, where you are it now is. in Colorado, it super both of them. Yeah, they're three pretty different well i lived in pueblo so it was sort of like this just a little bit more green yeah it's it's interesting one of the the things i love most about traveling so much is that i love to i love to be on other land than the land that i know so i was um i was really lucky to get asked to do beltane in uh north dakota and i'd never been there before and the reason I wanted to be there, I mean, the people are lovely and I had a wonderful time with them. But the people, the reason I wanted to be there is I wanted to be on prairie land. I wanted to see what that felt like to imagine a sea of grass. That's terrifying. And it was, it was extraordinary. <laughs> and the level of connection across all of that was just, I, I just kept going. It was pretty darn cold, as you might imagine, in North Dakota. Um, and I just kept going outside in the wind and the snow and the rain and the, and just be like, whoa, can you feel that under your feet? Do you feel that? That's amazing. And they're like, uh huh. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> because they're used to it. They're all people who live there. So it didn't, you know, it didn't seem like, wow, do you feel it's like, it's like electric right under, right where these roots are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. It feels different because here everything is. I wonder what they must feel when they go where mountains are. Because I can't, if being without mountains is terrifying to me. Yeah, me too. It feels just too weird, too weird. So that when I'm coming home on 40 either way or 26, there on each one of those roads, there is a, a place where the venue, where the view opens up to the Blue Ridge. And I go, good, almost home. Yeah. Yeah, because like I said, my family's been here hundreds of years. And so digging out, I've I've tried to move away from here at least twice. And both times it just it didn't take because I was like, well, I mean, this is all right. London's fine. Dallas is okay, But no mountains. No, no, no. That's why I like Colorado. And we are, I can see, I'm, we're like, I mean, have you been to Tucson? There are, two, there are mountains here. They're not. No, I never have. I want to come not, see you. Yeah, definitely. 
everyone should come here. Tucson is amazing. And it's relatively liberal, liberal for a Western state. <laughs> <laughs> for Arizona. But, well, Arizona yeah. is moving back and forth. It's weird. It's, well, weird's one way to describe it. <laughs> it's big, though. Tucson's a, a big city, isn't it? Yeah. We don't like live too far outside, and I still it's still 45 minutes, partly because of traffic. It's not just because of distance. Yeah. So uh, what tribes, what tribes are where you are? Tohono O'odham. And I Say think like, maybe Tohono O'odham. Okay. Yes. And maybe Yaki, maybe, I'm not sure about that part. I know that Tohono O'odham are. Is there a res there? Yes. There's one south west-ish. Huh down 19 and then there's some sort of between here and Phoenix on the east northeast cool I don't really know other than that I know where I've been and, and seen it like if I'm on the interstate then I see the signs and I know where I live because I looked where I live because I want to know what is hanging out in my kitchen because <laughs> something does yes, yes exactly yeah, I always just think that whole place is just filled with native native folks. Yeah. I've always wanted to go to Santa Fe, too. Yes. I love Santa Fe. And that's up in Navajo country, I think. Dine country. I don't know. I don't know. It's Me all neither. I just know that when we go through Albuquerque, there is a gigantic casino. <laughs> That's oh, how I know yes. we're close to Albuquerque. Yes. <laughs> but New Mexico does not like me. Oh. Because everyone, I've, I've lost, like, once my, like, my engine blew up when we were trying to, when we were stationed in El Paso. And my husband is from Colorado Springs. So we were driving and the engine blew up between Albuquerque and Santa Fe. <laughs> oh and then God. another time, <laughs> another time, we were driving back from Tucson and traveling through New Mexico and we ran over a, an already dead deer and broke the axle. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so I, I just try to stay out of New Mexico now yeah, because yeah. it's just either, maybe it really wants me to stay, but I'm not ready to be there. <laughs> we used, I, I had a cousin. She was like a second cousin once or whatever who lived in Albuquerque. She'd moved out there years and years ago from here. And and we used to, even though we knew better, we used to call it Albuquerque just to make her mad. <laughs> she would come up to visit her mother and grandmother. And when we'd introduce her, this is my cousin Norma. She lives in Albuquerque. And she would go, it's not pronounced that way. <laughs> oh, will you tell me how that's pronounced again? Albuquerque. Where K? No! <laughs> it was so much fun. But now she's dead, so. Yeah, I've only That's visited out west. I've never spent a whole lot of time. I was in uh, Vegas for a conference once, and I've been up in, I'm, I was in Colorado Springs, actually. We were there visiting friends that were teaching at a school, like a private school there. Um, and I remember taking a bath and looking through the 
like the window in the in the ceiling and and my host said oh yeah that's norad and i was like oh what? yeah <laughs> Isn't that <Yeah>. crazy? <laughs> right. He said, yeah, that's Norad, all that stuff you can see up there. And I said, well, it just seems like that's a really beautiful sort of a mesa, and now it's got a bunch of crap on it. And he said, it's not crap, it's Norad, Norad. And I was like, yeah, 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 Norad. Okay. <laughs> Why would you ruin that nice mountain with all that stuff? To keep you safe, you moron. Space. Scary, <laughs> scary space. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. When I left, when I, I, I left Virginia, went to Fort Bragg, then we got stationed in Germany and then we got stationed at Fort Carson. And then my heart was like, okay, you belong out West. And now that's where I've been ever since. Really? Yep. But it's still, oh. there, there has to be mountains. There still has to be mountains. We, we lived in El Paso and there was one thing they called a mountain that it was just a giant rock. And I was thought, this is not at all. <laughs> That's not a mountain. <laughs> this ain't right. And, and I cannot live here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm going to ask some more actual interviews. Oh, okay. Yeah. Here. Sorry. <laughs> we really went down the rabbit hole on that one, didn't we? And then it was NORAD. And then there was a big rock that they called a mountain. Okay. We should have just had a, a like a phone conversation first. Yeah. <laughs> to get out all the weirds. What do you tell people who are just starting out? Words of wisdom. I tell them not to take on too much at once. I tell them to find something that they need and work for that. I tell them to be grateful to the land. Um, and to and to get to know the land, and that it's all about, well, in my book, Seasons of a Magical Life, I talk about it as acknowledged kinship. Because we talk about, oh, we want to have, have a relationship. We want to be in relationship. But the relationship is already there. We already have the relationship. But it's on our end that we need to acknowledge that. So the first thing is to is to be... In the land you're on, and sometimes that land is the 18th floor of an apartment building, and and it takes a little bit more to be in touch with the land because you are going to have to be outside of the place that is your safe hearth. But I always want people to start there, to start with the very basics of the acknowledged relationship with the land. I I tell I tell folks that it is better that you know six plants that are native to your area intimately than to know the whole uh, pharmacopoeia of Chinese herbs. It's just better to know. So do you know plantain? Yes. Do you know dandelion? Yes. Do you know chickweed? To know six herbs that are native or are have been there so long they're practically native to where you are. And start there. Because otherwise you'll be overwhelmed and you'll You'll give it up and your practice will be very general and it won't be very satisfying. It's, it's the same with the tarot. And I've been reading cards since I was 12 and now I'm 66. So do the math. I've been reading cards a long, long time and I started with playing cards and people go, oh, 
Well, I, I got the deck of cards and I got the book, but, you know, I'm still just reading from the book when I do the cards. And I, when I teach classes on this, I say, don't ever look at the book. Don't look at it. Do be with the cards, one card at a time. Because the card has a meaning upright. It has a meaning reversed. And then it has a meaning when it's in conjunction with the cards around it. And literally, when you do the mathematical equation of how many combinations that can be, you cannot possibly memorize it. You can't. I don't care who you are. So you take it one card at a time. You start with the major arcana. Maybe you do the first five. Start with zero. Start with the fool. And and come, come into that acknowledged kinship with that tool. And then everything is easy after that. The, the other thing I advise people is don't use your personal life force as the energy for your magic. That, that is a fool's game. That's a mug's game. You pull energy out of the earth. You take energy because there's fire trucks going by. You take the wild energy and you utilize that so that you don't end up bedraggled and ragged and empty when you do magic. Magic should not exhaust you. Magic should just be understanding the connection that you are massaging in order to meet your intention. It's massage. It's not, it's not fracking. You don't frack energy out of the earth. You massage it out and you use it and you return what you don't use. Hmm. I'm people. I'm people that look at the book. Girl, don't do it. I'm still trying oh. to figure out tarot. I'm just, it's just, I've been trying. They're just, just like Spanish. Spanish and tarot, just, it's, I, I have issues. Uh, I'm learning Italian. And Ooh. I used to be pretty good with languages, but menopause happened. And now I, I can tell you the lady ate an apple. I can tell you what the plural of dolphin is. But yeah, Ooh. I can't. Why, why did you learn that? It's part of, I'm doing Duolingo Italian. Oh. So you learn, she ate an apple, the lady, eat, no, eats an apple. It's all still present tense. Yeah. And, and, and I, I should learn Spanish because we have such a vibrant Spanish speaking population here. And I only know restaurant Spanish. You know, I can, I can yeah. greet my server. I can thank them. I can order water. I can order and my, my Spanish pronunciation, I, I do not say wallapino, as a lot of people do here. Wallapino? Uh, oh, wow. Wallapino. I haven't heard that one before. I love them really hot peppers and wallapinas. Yeah, they're good. Um, so, you know, I, I can do restaurant Spanish. I can, you know, be grateful and I can you know, order more guacamole, por favor. Uh, but other than that, yeah. So yes, what? one card at a time. Kim, one card at a time. I'll do my best. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. And then just actually in my patron group, in my Patreon, we have a I have a Marco Polo group and we it's like my little family now and I love them and we talk every day and I have community through that. I, I love I literally love them. They are my family and I'm excited to go see them in September. <laughs> Oh, so that's who you're seeing in September? Wonderful. Yeah. Well, it's, have you heard of the Witch Bitch Amateur Hour? I have. 
Oh, they phone. introduced us to uh, this event called Anahata's Purpose, which is a wellness retreat. And Ooh. it basically turned into which pajama drawer fan club convention. <laughs> <laughs> and um, my patrons are all fans of theirs. They were actually, I have at least one person who was my fan first. <laughs> But we're all big fans of Charlie and Macy. So we're going to, everybody's going to go there and meet up and and witch around. And I'm going to cry in the river because when I see the river, I cry. Because it's very reminiscent of home. Oh, I'm going to cry now because my uterus is freaking out. (laughs) When it's very reminiscent of where I grew up of Roanoke and there's a river and there's no water here. And I love water. And so I sit in the river and I cry and then I go eat tasty cakes. Cause I'm in out just outside Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> tasty cakes. <laughs> what would you like to hear from someone? If, if you're thinking about the beginner that you're giving to whom you're giving advice, what would you like to hear from someone with that much experience over you? Oh, I, I would like to ask them, like I, I talk about this often about like in the Harry Potter movies and we see the children practicing magic mostly. And you have to say it, uh, you have to say Leviosa. You can't say Leviosa because if you, you don't mangle the Latin properly, it doesn't work. And we, and we see them being very careful and, and, and they have to do the one just right and all that. And then in like the fourth, maybe the fourth movie, fifth movie, we see the grown-ups practicing magic and it is fast, fast, fast. And there's no, if they say incantations, we don't hear them. And they, they do it and move on and they disappear in a cloud of dust. And so I want to know from someone who is as far ahead of me, who is so very far ahead of me, um, how do you how do you get how how fast can you go? How far oh. can you go in in doing things like I tinker with time and I want to know how how far I could go with that. Because right now it's just it's it's me being nosy and curious. It's like okay, so if I because what I've discovered is you can tinker with time, but that that debt has to be paid ultimately. So that yes, I can I can fix it so that I'm not late for this appointment. I can do that. But sooner or later, I'm going to want to get somewhere or have energy or whatever, and time is going to go. You remember, remember how you owe me seven minutes? I'm going to take that back now. I want to, I want to know if there's a way to, to come into relationship with time so that it is, it is consciously consciously reciprocal. That is one of the most terrifying things I have ever heard. Well, I'm a witch. I'm supposed to terrify people. Isn't that right? That is. I I hate time movies. I don't like Doctor Who. I hate when they do Star Trek going back in time stuff. Time stuff terrifies me. Well, see, 
I think we don't understand either time or space. And so I'm, I'm one of those freaks that, that aren't around. There aren't very many of us that I am. I don't like mead. I don't like to drink mead. It feels like a waste of honey. And I've never had a mead that I like. And people go, oh, but you'll love this one. I try and go, yeah, don't love it. And I am a reincarnation agnostic. And I am because I don't think we understand how time works. So the notion that back in time somewhere, my spirit was doing something else, I, that, doesn't, that doesn't feel right to me. So I don't know if time is moving laterally, like horizontally. If it moves out like a pebble dropped in a stream, I don't know. And I don't, nobody knows how time works. Oh, no. Uh, this is just, it's, it's a Wednesday. I can't have this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Did your stomach just get clenchy? It's like, t- stop it. Don't talk about time. Oh, no. That's dressing me out. <laughs> so, so I would love to know like the advanced, the really advanced stuff. And people go, Oh, well, I mean, you're really advanced. And it's like, no, not really. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty adept. I will say that, but there are things and the things that I wouldn't touch, like the, the realm of the dead. I, I just, that's a mystery I'm willing to leave alone. Thank you. Even though I do work, I do that kind of psychopomp work, but going in and visiting and staying oh no thank you um so yeah stuff like that how do you how do you get to be able to make fire from your fingertips oh okay I, i'd be down with that <laughs> yeah and, and i think that's something because i need I a told, lighter all the time <laughs> <laughs> well i was told years ago that that that's an ability you can only have as a crone and I don't know I'm if it's, my hip replaced. Hey, I'm almost there. There you go. And so I don't know if we're just too juicy before then, and so the fire isn't good. But oh, yeah. Yeah, we're so, too damp, too damp, too moist. Has that moist? <laughs> um, yeah, I I don't know, but there's there's things like that. But I'm going to be perfectly honest. I am satisfied with the level of what I do now. I I managed to keep most of the plates on the sticks that I'm twirling and when I can't and have to let something go I'm pretty good at letting it go with some grace and not kicking and screaming good for you yeah well I'm I'm older than you that's hard that's a hard one it is hard it was a hard lesson and I still am not sure I've learned it I usually only learn lessons the hard way after four or five different tries yep I can relate to that I'm Did satisfied you, with my level. I just want to know more stuff about different things. <laughs> yes. Yes. <clears throat> and I want to, there was an opportunity that my daughter and I had. Um, she was taking Spanish in elementary school. And her teacher, there was an opportunity to take a group of uh, child-parent combos to Chiapas. And where my daughter could do a Spanish immersion culture and language thing, and I could study with curanderas. And it was going to be like three weeks. And she had set it up. She said, the healing women, you will be with the healing women, and you're going to learn, and there'll be somebody to help translate, and it's going to be. And then there, it was at the point where there was, where Chiapas just exploded, and nobody, nobody was going in. 
So that opportunity never happens. So there are there are those things of I want to sit down, I want to sit down with a genuine Sicilian strega, and I want to compare notes and I want to hear what she does. Um, I was really fortunate to sit down with a woman in the Low Country of South Carolina who practices a, a and they don't really call it magic necessarily, but she is in the Gullah culture. Yeah. And we talked about that, some that te- some of those techniques and, and protocols. So I love talking to other magic workers about what they do. And I found that when you go back to the, to the primary sources and you're not talking to somebody who four generations ago, grandma did that and then they've renewed the practice and, but they're still kind of stiff about it. I want to talk to those old women who are smoking a corncob pipe and um, and they they pull weeds out of the ground and they spit on them and because that's that's who I am and that's who I want to talk to. I want to find out what that root does because when I Me use too. that root, yes, but when you use that root, you use it for this. I want to know what I want to know what everybody does with eggs. Eggs are universal, mm-hmm. so I want to know what do you do with eggs? Do you use it to clean? Do you use it to absorb disease or absorb uh, uh, people, uh, spirits who have walked in to a, to a living body? Do, does the egg absorb that? Does the egg promote fertility? What? Tell me what you do with eggs. Are you actually asking me? Or is this hypothetical? No, that's okay. right. <laughs> I know you, me too. You, me too. You have eggs too. I have fresh fertilized eggs. Yum, baby's coming. How many how many chickens do you have? Uh, I think it's seven right now. Oh, well, that's a, that's but a good amount. They're aged, so oh oh. So <laughs> how many? Do you years know how many where we periodically lose them. <laughs> do you know how many fertilized eggs you're hatching? I don't. We don't hatch. I eat them. Oh. <laughs> Got it. They're not developing. They're, I just know they're fertilized. Oh, because <laughs> you got that that uh, sweet handsome rooster. Yeah. And uh, they're missing feathers in specific portions of their back. So, oh, um, I know. <laughs> I see. Well, um, so how you have elder chickens? So you wait till spring when it's chick days at your local feed and seed. I may, I kind of think maybe we want to move into Bantams because then I can have more. Oh. I've only, I want a wrist chicken. <laughs> so your I'm husband like little... is going to have a hawk on his arm. And yeah, you're have exactly. Exactly. Okay. And I'll have a cute little, little hen that sits on my, my wrist and hollers. <laughs> I think that's a and great idea. I can idea. set it out on grasshoppers. <laughs> or people who have come to convert your religion, to convert you to their religion. Well, we have a gate that says beware of dog on it, and they don't come in. And I have oh. two giant dogs and two tiny dogs, but two giant dogs that can. What so kind of dogs are they? They don't come in our yard. One is a, a great big Great Dane German Shepherd cross. Oh, and the other is actually from Afghanistan that my husband rescued when he was deployed. Oh, 
and Big then have old. a little little sheltie Pomeranian Chihuahua mix, and then a little poodle Chihuahua mix. I tell you what I need now is a little terrier that will go after voles. We're having trouble with voles in the garden. The little sheltie thing? We actually inherited her from his mom when she passed. That is the huntingest little wild-ass feral dog. (laughs) Yes! She's a terror. She spends her entire day literally running a track around the yard hunting for things. She has caught, like, lizards, doves, if we had pigeons, she's catch the, She's caught a quail, mice, rats. She catches and eats everything. She because the, yeah. I, my theory is they the we got her from the shelter and her little. And I mean, we went and took his mom to get her because her dog had died. So we, you know how they little have the little card about the, about this dog. They yeah. found her running loose in the streets of Pueblo. <laughs> Oh god. <laughs> and I know that dog was out catching like cats and rats. <laughs> wow. Well that's what I need. We my neighbors had a, a dog, previous neighbors that aren't there anymore, and and I came down I came out to my garden one day and there was a dead groundhog right in front of the gate for the garden. Ooh, I was that's like, impressive. Yes. Yes. And and my neighbor heard me and said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. My dog, she got out. And she and I said, what does that dog eat? And can that dog come stay with me for a while? Because I'm happy to dump this body down the bank. I'm and maybe impressed that I could get a groundhog. Yeah. And we had I, a cat for a while that would do rabbits and squirrels and all that. But you need a dog for a groundhog or a, or voles. Our neighbor pretty much ditched one of their cats and he lives in our yard now and we have fewer rats because pack rats are crazy here wow and so he i'm hoping he also i'm he used to sleep under the bird bath and then i would find his collection of dove wings because the doves are <laughs> apparently idiots and every other bird can realize there's a cat there Oh, wow. And I know they're doves because I also found their heads. <laughs> but the rest was so delicious. Yeah. And then I started feeding him closer to the house, and I don't think he sleeps there anymore. So my bird bath is now a bird bath again. Oh. oh. Well, I mean, yes. No, that's what it should be, a bird bath. I shouldn't be sad about the lack of death in your yard. He eats. I mean, I feed him close to the house, but he, a court, we asked about him because he bit me because he bites. <laughs> Ungrateful. And I was though, like, right? do I need to, is this, <clears throat> and they said they were feeding the feral cats and would do trap neuter release. Uh, and I thought this is one of them, but it turns out it's one of their ex house cats who went crazy and started tearing up their house and beating up their other cats and biting the crap out of everyone. And he bit me, and I was like, "Do I need to go get rabies shots or what?" <laughs> well, and that's I when I found happened. out it was their cat. I wonder what happened that made him crazy. I do too. He, I think maybe he just is kind of a, a 
a picky cat. And if you don't read his body language fast enough, he will tell you in a different way (laughs) because he lets me pick him up and pet him and stuff. But when he's done, he's done. And if you continue, then he will bite you to say that's enough. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So it, it, yeah. That's I don't know why he was tearing up their house, probably because he didn't like being an indoor cat, because he does show no interest at all in coming in. He really enjoys being outside, and I don't love that he's decimating the birds, but I'm also not going to kill the poor cat just because he's being a cat. Well, right, and I mean, is the dove population in any kind of danger, really? Hell no. Or the pigeon population? I don't think so. No. And, he, and I haven't seen that he's catching any other birds. Because the other birds aren't as delicious as pigeons and doves. They are very delicious. I think they're also less dull. Your, um, your, your thrashers are probably both too smart and too bony for the cat to want them. And too mean. <laughs> mean. It is funny seeing crows, like, harass a cat. It's like, what? It, buddy, get away from them. And the thrashers do that. The thrashers and the little, the cactus wrens, they'll all, I know where the cat is in the yard at all times because they're screaming at him, surrounding him. They're crazy. Doves do not figure that out. (laughs) (laughs) Who do you think would be fun to have on the show and answer questions like this? Oh... There is a woman named Michelle Holman, um, and I can put you in touch with her, and she has got a million stories, and she makes beautiful pottery, and she does fire ceremony, and she's just an amazing, amazing woman. And I will get you her contact information. She would be great on your show. I would love that. And uh, do you know... What is she called? The Southern Fried Witch Seba? Mm-mm. With a name like that, I should. She um she lives in southern Alabama. Um and she has her own podcast, so you might check that out, Southern Fried Witch. Um and I would love, selfishly, the three of us to do a podcast together. Either her podcast, your podcast, or our podcast. That'll be fun. We oh, the stories. Yeah, and and it would be we would have to consciously say, okay, after anybody speaks, you have to wait five seconds before you speak, so we wouldn't be talking on top of each other. It is it's very hard for me. Plus, I can't tell if there's a delay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we could do it with video. You know, that might be a good idea, and then just run the audio portion. But we could be seeing each other and. You know, drinking tea or whatever we're drinking. I got to drink water. You got the desert. <laughs> you're in the desert. And we have to be very careful with water right now. Now, all of us do. All of us do. That's humans actually what I use as an offering. Yep. It's wise. Uh, humans get at the end. Sorry. Humans sorry, live sorry. For a long, no, no, no. Humans live for a long time without petroleum. We don't live without water. I keep saying that we need to live without it now, or at least give it a try. Well, we figure out something else. We have to be conscious about it. Yes, your body needs water. All animals' bodies need water. But if you are trying to grow 
an East Coast deciduous forest garden in your desert yard, you are a fool. You're just a fool. And all of us have to think about when these, because we all are in different microclimates. We were talking about this, about tomatoes the other day. Here, where I live, we need to acknowledge we cannot grow tomatoes and stop it. Just stop it. Because nine what? times out of ten, nine times out of ten here, you're going to get either blossom and rot or you're going to get that horrible, horrible wilt. Nine oh. times out of ten, unless you use supreme chemicals, which none of us want to do. So we need to acknowledge that that's not something we can grow here without the use of incredible chemicals. And people in deserts are going to have to acknowledge that everybody can't have a damn swimming pool. Or a yard, a lawn. Or a lawn. Well, I hate don't need five million golf courses everywhere. Yes. I mean, I, I don't believe in sin, but if I did, it would be lawns. A damn golf course down the street. <laughs> yes. Because that is just, a, it's an enormous waste of resources. I hate it for, so much. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And maybe it, it if we were golfers, me. maybe if we were golfers, we wouldn't. If I was a golfer, I wouldn't settle in Arizona and expect to play golf on a green, on a green yes. period. There you, there you Just go. Just like I don't have a, I don't have a lawn. I don't have clover. I have a bunch of things that want to poke into my skin. And that's why I don't walk barefoot anywhere anymore. Ever. Even <laughs> in my house. Because the dogs will drag things in and then I will have to go get a tetanus shot. <laughs> hey, I got a tetanus shot this year. And let me give you some advice. If your tetanus shot is up, you should fake getting a wound because then your tetanus shot doesn't cost so much. And probably if you've got insurance, it pays for that. I came in in and I said, when did I last have a tetanus shot? They were like, oh, 11 years ago. And I said, I probably need it. Yes, you do probably need it. And it cost me hundreds of dollars for a damn tetanus shot. What? Yes. Because you're See, I have Tricare, and I don't know how much things cost because I have right. military insurance, and I don't uh, have okay. a real understanding of insurance, how it works, or how much things cost. Yeah, well, then never mind, because that yeah, will not like apply to you. That will not apply to you. Good. I'm glad you do. And thank you for your service to our country. Thank you for paying for my health care. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd rather pay for your health care than a bunch of Congress pe- Congress critters. That aren't doing anything. So, yay. Well, we both appreciate each other then because I need this <laughs> hip. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, yeah, I I want to send you all blessings for the, I mean, the, the for the surgery to be smooth, quick, successful, and for your recovery time to be that of a, a healthy woman of the age you are or a healthy woman 20 years younger than you. But quick. I just want to be able to get back on a horse when I, for my birthday. Oh, that's what I want. I haven't been on a horse in years. I used to, I had horses for years. I miss it. I miss the smell. Me too. And the sound of the saddle creaking. Mm-hmm. And that soft place right above the corner of the horse's mouth. Yes. That really soft, almost hairless place where you can give him a little kiss. Or I, bike had, I always bike. wanted horses. I always wanted mm-hmm. horses, but the only I actually tr- taught myself to read through books and at the stable at Fort Bragg. <laughs> wow. 
Well, how nice you weren't at I mean, Ride. Did I say read? I meant ride. <laughs> I knew what you meant. So thank goodness you weren't at Camp Lejeune because you've heard what's happened there. Well, I keep seeing all the commercials. It's crazy. It's heartbreaking. It would not surprise me that it, it, it's also a brag because there were a lot of infant deaths at one point in, in military housing. Oh. So they may, they may not look at brag yet. Yeah. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you wanted to bring up or did you have any questions that you haven't asked me? I just want to know when I can come visit. <laughs> when do you want to? <laughs> not in September and not until the end of the year because I will be recovering. <laughs> yes, you will. Um, I don't know, but we'll we'll figure that out because I need I need to get to the Southwest. I need yes. to spend time in a desert because I've never spent much time there. Honestly, January, February, March is a really good time. Now is actually a good time. When monsoon actually happens, it is actually very nice here. But, I bet it's beautiful to watch the transition, too. It is so. I mean, if you came here, you wouldn't think it was that green. But for us, it's so green. <laughs> <laughs> People kept saying, the first time I went to Ireland, they said, you're going to be amazed at how green it is. And I got there and went, yeah, it's green. You know, home is green. We got green. <laughs> it's lovely. When yeah, I, green. It's because you get a lot of rain. Green. When I get off the plane in Raleigh, at first that – I feel like I'm stepping into somebody's mouth, first of all. <laughs> but then, like when you're flying over that lake at the airport, yeah. and it's so green and lush, and it's wild. Yes. More wild, more wild. Well, at the end, there are always two things that I ask people. Okay. One of them is, please recommend something to the listeners. It can be anything. It doesn't have to be witch-related. It doesn't have to be magical. It can be like the new sandwich that you tried at some restaurant. Whatever. <laughs> recommend something. <laughs> oh, I I guess I, I'm going to recommend something that I find really curious right now it's, that's jiving up my curiosity and that's um, root structures of trees and the mycelium network. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's just, whoa, that's a rabbit hole. I love walking down. And the second thing is please tell me a story that you love to tell whenever you get around, get on the porch or get in the kitchen with people you're familiar with and the story comes up and everybody has a good time listening to it. It does not have to be witch related either. Just story you love telling. Okay. I'm going to keep my hands down when I tell this story. Cause I have to years ago, I heard about, um, a weather working that I understood at that time was a Cornish weather working. And it involved a half of an eggshell and some spit and some vervain and a little bit of the local alcohol, which was, which I interpreted to be scrumpy, which is a kind of very strong cider. Um, and you take that and, um, so I'm telling the story about this at, a festival called the Pagan Unity Festival. And it's outside and and people are sitting on the bank in front of me, kind of like a little amphitheater. And I'm telling the story, oh, um, 
and I heard all about this from somebody, but I'm not, I can't quite tell you my source because I can't remember. It's been so long ago. And I said, and this is what you do. So you, and I didn't have any of the props at all. I just kind of acted it out. I said, you put it in the palm of your, of your, what we call in Appalachia, your soft hand and your non-dominant hand. And you put in this eggshell and you spit in it and you put some vervain and some alcohol. Then you put the thumb of your strong hand, your dominant hand, put your thumb into it and you wind it counterclockwise. Widdershins. And I'm telling the story. I'm waving my arms around. Oh, it's a great story. I look at my audience and they are, they are riveted. They are staring in my direction and their eyes are big. Mouths are hanging up and I'm thinking, I got them. Boy, they are really, really into this. And about that time, we all felt the barometric pressure shift. And behind me, what I could not see that they were looking at was this bank of black clouds that had risen on the horizon and were racing towards us. And it blew the festival out for the rest of the day. People people lost 10 by 10 pop-ups. Tents went flying into the woods. And to this day, at that festival, which I returned to this year, they were like, remember that time? Remember that time you told the story with the eggshell and and we had a big flood? And I'm like, yes, I do remember that time. Well, that's not where the story ends. So the next year, I'm in Pittsburgh with Selena Fox and some other people. There's my name dropping for today. And I'm telling again the story. It's a folk magic weather story. I'm telling the story of that. And Again, I don't have any of the props. I don't have any of that stuff. I just la la la. And then, golly, then what happened was, <laughs> and damned if I had rained that one out too for a few hours. So third time's a charm. And I am oh, at another. No. <laughs> I'm at another festival, and I'm telling the story of how I blew out two festivals already. And two of my friends came up to me, and they put their arms around me and they held my arms to my side so that I couldn't move. I couldn't gesture. (laughs) And they said, okay, tell the story slow with no feeling at all. So I told the story like this and it didn't rain. It did not rain. So I have learned. Did you know you were a weather witch? (laughs) Yes, I actually did. But mostly it's been the opposite thing. I was the person who was always the cocky cocky little monster when they'd say oh but we need to find a rain location for this outdoor event I go no you don't don't worry about it because I was really good at keeping a storm away Um, and then I was good at calling them and now I don't do either one of those things I let nature decide what she needs because it's really not up to me so that's a maturity in my magic but by golly that was an amazing amazing event and their faces were just like and I can't tell you how fast that storm moved it was it was Super fast. I love it. <laughs> also, that's why I tell I encourage people not to do weather magic, frankly. Yes. Yes. Because after Australia, that, um, that recent storm where I actually felt sort of like, you know, we might have done something with that. Because the Witch Bitch Amateur Hour group was like, let's all do a thing. And then we did. And then it flooded. And I thought, I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if there was a way, now that would be a thing to ask 
I know you're at the end of the podcast, but that would be a thing to ask that much more advanced practitioner is how do we sense an enormous storm coming into uh, eastern Kentucky? And we know it's going to be a dangerous level of moisture. And how do we move that down into the places where where there are no rivers anymore because it's been dry for so long? How do we figure that kind of weather magic out? Yeah. Where, who is that practitioner? Who is it? Tell me so I can talk to her. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know either. Well, thank you so much for being on the show <laughs> and for telling these stories that made my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kim, I had so much fun. Thank you so much for inviting me on. And I, I was a little... Uh, reticent, I think, when you said we're going to reserve two hours, we may not need all of that. And I'm looking at how much we've talked. Yeah, me too. So <laughs> uh, we probably we probably could have done but three I hours. We had a the questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll have to have me on some other time and ask the rest of the questions, Heck or yes. not, or not, or just do more of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was great fun. Thank you to all of your listeners and. You all know how to reach me. Just find me on Facebook. I'm there. Well, thank you so much again, and I will see you around on the internet. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Your Average Witch. You can find us all around the internet on Instagram at Your Average Witch Podcast, Twitter at Average Witch Pod, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Your Average Witch Podcast, at YourAverageWitch.com, and at your favorite podcast service. Want to help the podcast grow? Leave a review. You can review us on Amazon and Apple Podcasts, and now you can rate us on Spotify. You just might hear your review read at the end of the next episode. To rate Your Average Witch on Spotify, click the home key, click on Your Average Witch Podcast, and then leave a rating. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com slash cleverkimscurios. If you'd like to recommend someone for the podcast, like to be on it yourself, or if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, send an email to youraveragewitchpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the moon changes. Mm -hmm.